This is the Endangered Species Podcast, a podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Sean Bollendorf, together with my co-host, Logan Bonjean. Logan, what's up, dog? What's up, Shawnee? Happy to be here. Glad to have you, my man. Uh, I thought I was going to lose you on that mountain biking through the desert last night. Yeah, we ripped it up. I definitely don't have my mountain biking legs under me. You kicked my butt. The whole time, I'm like looking for rattlesnakes. You ran over a massive scorpion. Yeah, yeah, it was it was scary. I like went off path a little bit on accident because I didn't really know my way around, and I, man, I'm glad I didn't go down right there. I really regret not stopping and going back and looking at that thing. You were acting like it was a small lobster. It's probably a lot smaller than I actually thought it was, but it felt like a small lobster in the moment. <laughs> well, I'm pumped about today's topic, man, because one of the things we do is we shoot texts out all the time. We see you guys on social media and we ask guys all the time, what do you want to talk about? What conversation do you want to see us engage in, process scripture a little bit on, all that kind of stuff? And one of the most popular topics we hear you guys say that you want us to talk about is alcohol. How do you handle it? Can you handle it? Uh, how young is too young? How buzzed is too buzzed? Yeah, right. You know, how does the godly man approach this issue of drinking? Yeah. And a, a lot of the guys that we work with, Sean, are, are college-age students and a lot of young adults too. And so it's kind of a time where it's like, okay, if if this is legal and I step into this, how do I navigate it wisely? How do I um, hold this up against scripture? How, do, how does scripture even talk about this topic in general? So we're going to chop it up a little bit. I'm excited. Yeah, it's kind of sad, man. I look back at my uh, you know, elementary school years. The average boy in America has his first drink. I think it's at age 11, isn't it? Yeah, which is wild. I mean, that's I think that's pretty accurate for me. It had to be like 12, 13. Well, that was about right for me. I had an older friend. He was uh, like eighth grader. I was a fifth grader. And that kind of started my pathway uh, into drinking fairly frequently, just being around him, him having access to an older sister who had access to older friends who could buy alcohol for them. And it's just like, dude, it was just trickle down economics for my drinking. Yeah, you know, right. It was just... Yeah, the first beer I ever had was in middle school. It was a Budweiser, and I thought it tasted horrible. Um, you know, we know from brain science that the male brain isn't fully developed, especially in terms of reasoning, tapping in the brakes on morality and big decisions that could be self-harming, et cetera, uh, until age 25. Yeah, which is, <laughs> which is wild because, like you said, I mean, the stats show that the average first drink for – most kids is around 11, 12. And if you think about it, like if you habitually have been doing that since 11 or 12 and you're in college, that's like 10 years of feeding that habit. You know, it's interesting because when I think about peer pressure, just the world of feeling pressure to make decisions, to cross your morals or to not cross your morals and just go along with the crowd. One of the leading areas I think that peer pressure works the most is got to be in the area of alcohol. Yeah. Especially like in college and, and fresh out of college. It's huge. So much of late high school, really all of high school and college is that I think people think, man, I have to do this. It's wild, Sean. We did some research and people aged 12 to 20 drink 4% of the alcohol consumed in the United States. Um, and although youth typically drink less than adults do, when they do drink, they drink more. So more than 90% of all alcoholic drinks consumed by young people are consumed through binge drinking. Um, so in other words, underage drinkers are drinking less often 
then but when they do adult drinkers it's binged yeah it's in when they do they're amounts. searching for a blackout yeah exactly which that was my experience it was like i never drank casually just for fun like a drink or two if i was drinking in high school especially and in, in early college i was drinking a blackout and were you with friends when you were doing this? Did it ever get so bad that you were just drinking alone to blackout, to numb out, or what was going on? Yeah, I think I talked about this maybe in a previous episode. For a while, it was with friends in basements. We thought we were so cool, but like when you when you actually step back and think about it, it was just kind of sad. But yeah, it was just <laughs> with, with buddies in basements. And But it for me, it did get bad enough to the point where um, at certain points in high school, I was drinking alone. And and it was in all reality, when I finally stepped back in college and took an honest evaluation of my life, I had been drinking that much and for that long, not because I enjoyed it or had fun, like shoveling cheap vodka down my throat. Like that was a miserable experience. I was really doing it in some ways to fit in, but also to like cope with some hurt and some insecurity and some pain and to kind of mask that. And so, yeah, when I, when I did go drink, it wasn't a casual, lighthearted, fun thing. It was, uh, there were a lot of demons I was battling with it, I think. Uh, some more stats for people who start drinking before 21, the chances for alcohol disorders grow exponentially. And I think you could tie that a lot again to the brain science and the brain not being fully developed yet. Any addiction uh, before age 25 is going to be much harder to break. Yeah. And alcohol, as we know, is a depressant. And I never really thought about that as I was drinking in high school, but I've talked about this also on other episodes. I struggled with depression in high school pretty heavily and it was sad. It was a vicious cycle like that. I would go cope with that, with those depressive feelings with a depressant. And so it's no wonder that I was, um, at the end of the night, hammered, drunk, feeling miserable, waking up the next morning, feeling miserable, even worse than I had before, because that's what alcohol does when it's especially when it's consumed in copious amounts like I was. Yeah, I had a friend just a couple of years ago. He was really struggling in his relationships and his job and uh grew depressed, admitted to me that he had considered taking his own life even a couple of times. And I asked him, you know, how are you coping with this? He's a believer. I totally believe he knows God. Yeah. Uh but he said, "Man, to be honest with you, I'm I'm going to the bar every day." And I just told him, I said, number one, I understand that. I understand you're trying to numb your pain. Number two, you are putting yourself in harm's way. Yeah. Because alcohol is a depressant. I know it makes you feel good for a little bit, but, you know, and that's no surprise. People know that it's a depressant. There are 7 million teenagers that drink. I don't know if that, I don't know. Is that high? I don't know. Maybe it sounds like a lot. (laughs) Seven million is a lot of people. I don't know. It just like, I see these statistics and and they're, they seem surprising. I just, all I know is, and and I know people have different upbringings, but like if you didn't drink alcohol and I'm talking like binge drinking on the weekends at my high school, like you were weird. That's like, it was just by and large the socially accepted norm of like, you do this. This is what you do. Fast forward to college and, you know, I think, in my experience, mentoring college students, for some of them, it actually became easier because they became a smaller fish in a much larger pond. They became much well, uh, much less well-known. But for most of the college kids I've seen, they step into a social situation, whether it be dorm floor, athletic team, group of friends, fraternity, or sorority. And now it's kind of more of the same, but it's amped up. That world gets a lot smaller when you're in a group like that, which those groups are awesome, but... Yeah, it's it's 
that pressure, like you mentioned, amped up, even added. Well, all that said, it's going to be our goal today to address how the godly man should approach this issue of alcohol. Because this, this isn't something that you can just ignore. This isn't just an area of life that you can't have an opinion on. Yeah, you can't really like passively skate by on this one. You got to we, I mean, we, we really believe that every aspiring godly man needs to land on some core convictions regarding alcohol consumption. No doubt about it. Scripture does speak to it. Yes, yeah, a lot. You know, there, there, there are things that are kind of clearly no-fly zones, uh, meth, cocaine, we could go on and on. These things aren't spoken of in Scripture, but they're clearly sin, and we can go on and on about some of the Scriptures That's that a whole point to that. It's a whole other conversation, yeah. It's a whole other conversation. Uh, but that said, alcohol actually is openly spoken about many, many times in the scripture. And so in some ways it's an easier conversation to have because God is not silent about it. Yeah. We did some research on this too. And in all, there are 247 references to alcohol in scripture, which seems like a lot to me. You know, it's wild though. 40 are negative. 40 of those 247 are negative. There are warnings about drunkenness, potential dangers of alcohol, etc. 145 of those are positive, like alcohol being a sign of God's blessing. It's used in worship. And then 62 of them are neutral. They're more descriptive. People falsely accused of being drunk, vows of abstinence, things like that. And I thought that was really interesting that the overwhelming majority of the references in scripture to alcohol are actually positive ones. That is interesting. That that would land as interesting on my Baptist years. Right. <laughs> I'm not a Baptist, but I've been a Baptist before. I've attended all kinds of churches and I was a Baptist for a while. Uh, I could be a Baptist again down the road. Talk, but, talk about the second miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard of this. I didn't grow up in church, so I had never heard of this, but I just laughed the other day when you told me this. Yeah, I think you're speaking of the two great miracles. One of those miracles being Jesus's first, where he turned water into wine. And the second great miracle that Baptists did when they turned the wine into grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, a little that's... bit revisionist history there, I think, probably. Yeah. But yeah, that's really interesting, man, because I think that there are, are people like maybe closer to me on the spectrum. I'm not a teetotaler, but I'm just about. I mean, I'm like... I'm like a beer a year guy with my dad yeah. um, and I don't even like it, but I'm just like, Hey, I'll fellowship with my dad in this way. Right. You know, I don't really enjoy drinking a lot of alcohol or anything like that. Um, I, I grew up in a home where there was a lot of damage done through yeah. alcohol. And so, uh, for me, it's not that I will never have a drink, but I would say I'd probably rarely have a drink. Uh, it's not a big thing to me. It's not a prominent issue in my life. And there are probably guys like me that wish the Bible just said, hey, it's wrong all the time. Yeah. It's a little more gray area than that, though. Not not quite as black and white. Well, according to those statistics you just shared on the scriptures, it's definitely much more gray mm-hmm. than probably guys like me would want it to be. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, guys like me can make a lot of good arguments for, uh, you know, Hey, if you just removed every bit of alcohol from the world, would the world get better or worse? I think the world would get better. You'd have no DUI, you'd have no drunk driving accidents, et cetera. Um, but actually God thinks that the world would get worse. (laughs) Yeah. If you take those numbers, that's, it's kind of wild because like, I don't, I've never really thought about alcohol in the Bible in that way. And, um, yeah, I think I, I think the, 
the negative ones for whatever reason as I wade through scripture stand out to me more than the than the positive ones. But yeah, I think you you and I probably are in slightly different places. So like as I just mentioned, I, I had a pretty bad problem with alcohol through high school and um into early college, but I had this just wake up moment and it really it it had so much to do with my freshman year uh in college was the first time that I ever heard the gospel. And it was actually when I started following Jesus. When I when I started following Jesus, I, I had a pretty clear understanding of, hey, I'm not 21. Me drinking alcohol is illegal. Uh, I'm told not to disobey the law. That This was just like my thought pattern, especially early on in college. And so I was yeah. like, and more than that, though, I'm like, okay, I've had a problem with this. Like, this has been an idol in my life. I've gone to this before I've gone to Jesus. Um, and I still have a desire to go to this before I go to Jesus with my hurts, with my insecurities, with all those things. And so I just cut it out. And so basically from 18 to 21, before I was legally able to drink, I was like, dude, I'm not even going to like mess around with this. And now that I'm 21, now I'm 23. Um, I've, I think I've experienced a lot of healing in this area and have come to a place where I'm, I'm never even coming close to having too much alcohol, but I do feel comfortable having a drink here and there with friends, um, with family. I'll have a glass of whiskey with my dad pretty regularly when I go home to see him. And, um, yeah, it's good. I, I, I get to experience, I think some of the positives of, of, um, alcohol consumption in, in moderation, like the Bible talks about. Yeah, that's interesting. You should say that, man, because it's been a process for you coming to some of your convictions and, you yeah, know, coming huge out, process. you easily could have said, this is a thing in my past. I'll never do it again mm -hmm. because it had some negative consequences for you. Yeah. I think that would have been understandable. Yeah. At the same time, you have processed the scriptures and you've come to your own convictions. I do think there's this interesting phenomenon I've seen over and over. I call it the I'm 21 phenomenon. You basically have these Christians. They might grow up in Christian homes. They never drink. They actually hold on through high school and most of college. And then they're like, you know, and their whole reason is that it's illegal. And which I think is a good reason not to do something. <laughs> yeah, but if that's, your, if that's your only reason not to do something, I don't know. Well, you know, in Romans, this area, thir Romans 13 like... does say obey the authorities and doing so you're obeying the Lord. That said, I agree with you. I do think it's a, if it's your only reason. It's not a firm enough foundation. You know, think. is that the reason I don't steal money from you? No. Is that the reason I don't break the, the window on your car? No. You know, it's like, well, I'd like to, but it's illegal. Yeah, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's so shallow of a reason, right? And And what I've seen over and over again is that when these Christians turn 21, not only do they go out and get drunk day one, which, you know, is not illegal, but it is against the scriptures, against Galatians 5, um, their Christian friends are sitting there egging it on. And especially girls, for some reason, I think people want to see these girls lose control. I don't know what's going on there, but it saddens me. Yeah, it really is sad. And I don't know what it is. I've, I've seen handfuls of friends um, kind of do the same thing. It's like the 21st birthday night. It's like kind of all convictions go out the door. Um, and I've, I've not done any of this perfectly, but I think, like you said, like I really have diligently and prayerfully come to some like core convictions like we talked about. We want every listener to do the same. Um, and we are aware that this is something that even, Sean, you and I probably land in slightly different convictions in different areas, but we can come to some clear black and white ag agreements on the ways that scripture talks about alcohol and specifically in drunkenness and that that is wrong. Logan, let's talk a bit about what the Bible does say 
about yeah. alcohol in general, drunkenness, use of alcohol, etc. One of the first scriptures that comes to my mind is Galatians 5. It says the acts of the sinful nature or the flesh are obvious. And then one of the sins, one of the acts that it mentions is drunkenness. And it's so interesting because Paul goes on to say, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or wild living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So I can either be filled with myself, filled with alcohol, or filled with the Spirit. It's so interesting that he contrasts drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. Why do you think he does that? When you're drunk, when you're consumed with alcohol, you're under the control of that substance. Uh, in the same way, I think when you're filled with the Spirit, you are led and guided by the Spirit. And so those two things are going to lead you and control your actions and thoughts and words in a lot of ways, in, but in very different senses. Yeah, there's no way that I'm going to be drunk and simultaneously filled with the Holy Spirit. No. And, and also, you're not going to be wise. I think of Proverbs 20, verse 1, which says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler, which is some funny wordplay, but I like it. And he just says, Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. I remember sitting with a guy just, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, and he's a new believer in Christ, new follower of Christ. And let's just say that he had he spent a lot of the previous years of his life in uh, debauchery, wild living, <laughs> drunkenness. And he said, man, I got all these friends who are still living that lifestyle and I want to reach them with the gospel at the same time. I don't want to engage in what they're doing. Cause sometimes you hear the argument guys make, it's like, man, if I just, if I go and drink with guys, they listen to me more, they listen to me better and uh, have more influence with them, et cetera. And I do think there's an area of fellowship there yeah. to, to go grab a beer with a guy, to go, go have drinks. I do think there's a point in the evening when your influence is diminished and it's time to leave. Yeah, and in any of those situations, you'd really need to exercise discernment and just wisdom. And is this the right type of situation with the right type of person for me to be doing this? The scripture that we looked at, this guy and myself, was First Peter 4, 1 through 3. Uh, it talks a lot about what you do now as a new believer, what you do now in your decision-making. And one of the things it says in verse 3 is, it says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, etc." It's like, hey, dude, you had your time. You spent enough time doing that. It's time now to be a light, to be a self-controlled man, to be a spirit-filled man in these guys' presence. He was encouraged by that. Yeah. And I think it's important to make a point in light of all those things that the word we used when talking about alcohol in a negative sense was drunkenness. That like we've kind of already mentioned, the Bible doesn't talk about alcohol as inherently sinful. It's the misuse and excess use of alcohol as, as sinful. Uh, on the positive side of things, I think of Psalm 104. It says, He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. That wine, it says, here is something that God had made for to gladden the heart, which is kind of cool. That verse was never quoted in my Baptist church. <laughs> right. Never heard <laughs> it, that one. It is interesting where you are in the country and where you are in the world as a part of the church, because if you're in Germany and you go to church on a Sunday morning, you're very likely to go have a beer with your pastor at lunch, and you might be 15 years old. 
Yeah. Right. Nobody thinks a thing about it and you move on. Now, are you going to go and get drunk with your pastor? I hope not because I would say, Hey dude, you're outside the lines of what scripture says here. But you know, if you're in a church in, in the Southern United States, uh, again, like I said, this scripture is probably not even going to ever be quoted or taught (laughs) in any way, shape or form. And so there are cultural grids when it comes to alcohol, cultural lenses that people view alcohol through. Some of those are cultural in terms of a place, as I mentioned, you know, the South. Some of those are cultural in terms of a denomination, some uh, of churches. Some of those are in terms of the culture of your family. You know, I had a guy tell me just a couple of years ago that he wouldn't attend a certain Bible study. This guy's probably 25, and the guy who's leading the Bible study was probably 25. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, the guy who is leading the Bible study drinks, and everybody knows drinking sends you to hell. He said that. I thought he was kidding at first. I literally thought he was kidding That's when so he was intense. looking at me. And yeah, it was so intense. It was so over the top. Yeah. And it was actually so unbiblical, yeah. too. And so I said, you know, at first I laughed and he was just staring at me and I quickly realized like, oh, he's not kidding. He's not joking. And so we hashed it out a little bit and, you know, hey, is is your Bible study leader getting drunk? Is he engaged in irresponsible decision making? Is this a guy who's otherwise full of the Holy Spirit and lives a godly life? And, you know, this guy ultimately said, yeah, I mean, if, if I take that away, I totally respect the guy and want to be in his Bible study, you know, is he getting drunk? No, he's not getting drunk. He just, I just know he drinks. And so that became an opportunity for me to share scriptures like the one, the exact one that you just pointed out and others where Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine where Jesus turned water into wine to keep it, to keep a reception going, to keep the party going, to keep the party going, you know, at at a wedding. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is interesting how your cultural grid yeah. can influence not only how you think about certain issues like this, but how you approach the scripture and how you interpret the scripture. Yeah. All of us. We're all subject to that. Yes, 100%. And that's where we need to hear, I think, First Corinthians 10, when Paul says, he, he's quoting the Corinthians, he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And so you mentioned like cultural family grids, like like you talked about earlier, your family has a history of some alcohol abuse, and that's something to take into consideration in your alcohol consumption. I think of people who are alcoholics, like they don't go to bars, they don't get around alcohol because it causes them to stumble. And so if one of my best friends is an alcoholic and is in rehab, I'm not going to have alcohol around them, even if... Like Paul says, quote unquote, I have the right to do anything. Yeah, but that, that, how is that in any way loving or beneficial? And so that's where we need to especially exercise our discernment and wisdom in terms of the convictions that we're building when and where and how to consume alcohol in a way that honors God and the people in our lives. I love the wording of that version. I have the right to do anything. Or I know NIV says for me, everything is permissible. But then he says, not everything is constructive. Mm. Not everything is helpful. And ultimately, to me, the question comes down to when when you're thinking about whether to drink around somebody, if you do partake, there are partakers and uh, non-partakers. But ultimately, I guess technically I'm a partaker, even though I lightly partake. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, the question is love. 
do, am I loving this person or not? It, it's a loving thing for you to not claim your right to drink around this person who is actually um, weak in his self-control. I wouldn't say he's weak in his faith, but he's weak in his self-control. Yeah. And so therefore you choose not to imbibe around him. And so to be a temptation to him, I think about when my three sons were younger, two, three years old, we'd be walking across a parking lot. As we walked across the parking lot, I would hold, you know, their hands yeah, um, to make sure they didn't, you know, obviously get hit by a car. What I didn't do is run. Why would I not run? I have a right to run. I'm a grown man. I, I'm blessed with two legs. I can run toward the grocery store if I'm in a hurry. It's America. It's a free country. <laughs> I can run I if I want. I can do what I want, man. Why would I not run? Because I have a shorter-legged little human next to me who's attached to me at the hand. And if I run, he is going to fall on his face, right? And get seriously hurt. <laughs> and get seriously hurt. I have the right to run, but I don't do it because of love, mm. because I want to be helpful. I want to be constructive. I want to be protective toward this person with me. I love what it says in Romans 14. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And it says eating here, but you know, it was talking about food sacrificed to idols, et cetera. It's a whole big long story. But ultimately, the example of alcohol can apply here. Don't do something that's going to cause one of your brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble, either to stumble uh, through their own judgment or actually into the sin, following you in, into what for them becomes a sin and it wasn't for you. Yeah. And that whole conversation is a great transition into how I would love to land the plane for this episode and land the plane in, in building our own convictions in this area. Let's walk through a series of questions that any listener can work through to help them build convictions for their alcohol consumption. And the first one, like we just talked about, is asking yourself, does it cause other people to stumble? And that's a pretty straightforward one based on especially some of the scriptures we just read. And it's really, again, where you need to exercise discernment. You need to think through I mean, who, who are the people in my life? Who, who am I consuming this alcohol around and will it cause them to stumble? If so, then I should refrain. Yeah, I love that question. Does it cause other people to stumble? Sort of a parallel verse to the Romans 14 would be 1 Corinthians 8. I love what it says around about, I don't know, verse 8 or 9. It says, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For as someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? In other words, somebody sees you drinking and they come to some conclusions that aren't necessarily true and they take some freedoms that they probably shouldn't take ultimately. So does it cause other people to stumble? The second question we think it's important to consider is, does this cultivate my relationship with Jesus? Is this activity going to bring me closer to the Lord or is it going to take me further from the Lord? Now, there are people out there who I think would automatically say, well, dude, it's drinking. It's automatically wrong. It's going to take you further from the Lord. But again, I think we've seen guys, you know, even groups of guys at a Bible study, they have some drinks together. They have amazing fellowship, amazing conversation. I don't think it's a black and white issue where you can just say, uh, that it, it always takes you further from the Lord. I think for a lot of guys, that question does become easy. The times I drink, I don't get closer to Jesus. Yep. The times I drink, I make bad decisions. The times I drink, 
I lead others astray. The times I drink, I start acting immature or I lose control. It's a slippery slope. And all of a sudden I lose my footing and I end up at the bottom of this canyon that I never, a place where I never intended to be. I do think Romans 14 really does create such a helpful grid, whether you're a partaker or a non-partaker as a follower of Christ when it comes to alcohol, Logan, because there are mature partakers. What do you mean by that? Like as a mature partaker? Well, what I mean is I think the simplistic view for the person who thinks alcohol is sinful all the time in every location um, is to just say that there's no such thing as a mature drinker. There's no such thing as, as a mature partaker of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so scripture negates that though. And so you just yeah. can't kind of can't go there. And honestly, at times I wish scripture was more clear on things like that. So I'm like, Hey Lord, just tell me not to do it. And I will, I will, I'll do it never. And it'll make it a lot cleaner mm-hmm. and a lot easier and a lot easier for me to make judgments, you know? And there's a lot of black and white in the Bible, but there's also a lot of gray area. Tons of black and white. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately I love Romans 14 because it says there are mature partakers if you imbibe, you do it in this way, mm-hmm. right? And then there are immature partakers. You know, a mature partaker doesn't make a big deal of it, isn't trying to influence others to do it all the time, you know, isn't getting drunk, right? We could probably make a whole long list of what a mature partaker would look like. Well, there are also obviously immature partakers. They cross the line. When do you, when do you cross the line from, bu- you know, from sober to buzzing to drunk, mm-hmm. right? They don't really want to ever ask themselves that. They don't want to kind of press that question in. Yeah. Whereas mature partakers like aren't even really flirting with that line. Starting to lose maybe a little bit of control or maybe you're feeling slow with your words. I I think to me that's beyond buzzing, but Mm -hmm. maybe that's true. Maybe people just do know. But the reality is there are mature partakers and immature partakers. Similarly... There are mature non-partakers and there are immature non-partakers. Mm, yeah. Right? There are mature people that that don't partake and they're not judgmental mm-hmm. of people who do and they're not overly simplistic and they're not extra biblical, meaning legalistic rules that just aren't there in the scripture. They're a mature non-partaker. Yeah. At the same time, you have immature non-partakers. They don't partake. And you're wrong if you do, mm-hmm. kind of like my buddy I talked about who would not go to a Bible study led by somebody who who ever had alcohol touch his lips in his entire life. Yeah. Right. And so it might be good to think about which one of these am I. Wherever you land on this issue, we hope you land there with the help of the Holy Spirit, through wise counsel, and through the grid of Scripture. And also through culture, because that's the culture that's around you. But culture should not ever supersede scripture. Yeah. And and whether you land on the conviction to be a partaker or a non-partaker, we, our prayer is that you would be a mature one wherever you land. Sean, the next question kind of runs in congruence with this last one. You need to ask yourself, could this become an idol in my life? Uh, Sean, how would you define an idol? To be honest, the first scripture that comes to my mind is the first commandment in Exodus 20. Uh, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. In the first one, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you shouldn't be looking to anything else for comfort, for security, for identity, to be your sustenance, 
to be the thing you look to when you're down to, mm-hmm. yeah. you could go on and on, essentially a replacement God. God's saying, I don't want you to ever put anything in your life that ultimately becomes your go-to instead of me. Yeah. And so like I talked about earlier for me, this was textbook in high school, especially that was my idol in early college. Like that was my idol. And I didn't know God at the time, but it would, it became my God. And in, in all those ways that you just described, it was what I was going to for our comfort, for security, for escape, all those things. It, it was, it was textbook idolatry. And it became the thing you ordered your life around. When I am scheming and dreaming about how can I get more time with the Lord? How can I get more time in the word? How can I worship him more wholeheartedly? Man, that is where I need to be. Mm-hmm. That is where all is right in the world. But when I replace God with anything or anyone else, all of a sudden that becomes an idol. And just because one drinks, again, that we're not saying that that person is committing idolatry, but again, the question is, our third question here in our grid is, could this become an idol? Mm -hmm. And so you just want to be careful. Let me give our fourth question uh, that we think the godly man should consider when it comes to alcohol. And that is, could I be totally content without this in my life? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's a challenging one. And this makes me think of me in college and college students that we get to work with. I, I kind of hear this often when I talk to college guys about drinking. It's, well, I could like go without it. I could stop drinking if I wanted to. I just don't want to. And you can kind of see beyond the facade of like, man, but like, can you though? Like, would you actually really be content and able to live contently without this? And that's a question to ask yourself because I think it's easy to say, well, I could go without it. But for a lot of people in their alcohol consumption, it becomes the type of thing where it's like, man, I can't even really be content in life without this. And if that, if that's the case, then that's a problem. And this is a cousin question to the idol question, because when I hear that question, could I be totally content without this in my life? I think about Trader Joe's peanut butter cups. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not just alcohol. It's not just alcohol, man. It could become anything. All right. Man, those are so good, though. <laughs> let's, let's go to our fifth question we need to consider, the godly man needs to consider when it comes to alcohol. Does this help or hinder my ministry to others? You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the weak, I became weak. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Even though I'm not under the law, Paul goes on and on and ultimately says, I do all this. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. Mm -hmm. Everything Paul did, he's like, man, I want to connect with people. I want to build relationships so that I can bring them into a relationship with Christ. Again, back to our example of going and having a beer with the guys. Could having a beer with the guys at the sports bar and watching the NFL game on a Sunday afternoon or the college football game, if you're down in the South, mm-hmm. um, could that be a way that you connect with guys and they see you as one of them and you're able to bring them into a relationship with Christ through the gospel? Absolutely, I think it can. Yeah. Could that be a way that you compromise your testimony in their lives because they look at you and they go, you're not any different than me. Like you're the exact same as us. You don't have anything that I don't have. You don't have anything I want. Yep. I think that can happen too. Mm-hmm. So ultimately we, we just trust you guys to ask these questions in your own life. 
And especially this one, is this going to help my ministry or is it going to hinder my ministry? First Corinthians nine is there. I'm not saying that it leads me to decide to drink or it leads me to decide to not drink. Right. Ultimately you got to land on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Sean, let's wrap with this last question, which is really kind of the bedrock for all of this. You need to ask yourself, does this glorify God? I think in first Corinthians 10 verse 31 just says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So man, can I step into this situation? Can I consume this alcohol in this environment? Can I do it to the glory of God? Which in a lot of ways goes hand in hand with the question, does this cultivate my relationship with Jesus or not? It's kind of one and the same. And so really though, those, I think in my mind of all those questions that we talked about, those ones should be really at the heart of it is, man, does this draw me closer to God? Does this put him on display and not me um, or, or vice versa? You know, what's interesting to me, Logan, and we, and we, we probably seem wishy-washy today a little bit, you know? Yeah, which is not our intention, but Well, really the scripture we're isn't black and white. It's yeah, a gray exactly. area. That's why it's a gray area. But what I was going to say is, you know, what's interesting is I, I can think of two guys in my head right now. Both of them are kind of like you. They'll have a little glass of whiskey or something like that here and there. Um, one, uh, I say here and there. One of the guys has one every night, and it turns into, in my opinion, a little too much. And the other, and this is a Christian guy, and the other guy who's also a Christian guy, uh, he likes whiskey too. In fact, he fancies himself a little bit of a connoisseur, connoisseur of it. He doesn't go too far, in my opinion. You know, it's it's not an idol in his life. I don't really think it's hurting his testimony with others. It's kind of this thing that he's become an expert in, you know, and it doesn't seem to own him. From where I'm sitting, you know, the Lord can judge, but from where mm-hmm. I'm sitting. Yeah. The amount that each of these guys consumes is probably not that different yeah. from the other guy, from where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. But it does come down to your heart, you know, and, and, and why you do what you do. And I, th- I think considering others needs to be in there. All of that is important. Yeah. My point is that it's not always about outward appearances, mm-hmm. that it is about the heart and it's about being wise. Yeah. So if you came to this podcast hoping to get Sean or I to say, hey, you can have this exact amount of alcohol and be in the clear, then we're sorry. We don't have that for you. Hey, it is a vile sin. Just know I think that. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) But but I love what you just said. Like we do need to get down to the heart level with this. and, And like you mentioned with peanut butter cups and jokingly in passing, it's with so many areas of life. This is the area that we're talking about today, but that is what it comes down to is asking these questions on a heart level because it is just, that's the reality of gray area stuff in scripture. Like this one is going to be different for different people. So our prayer is that you would be able to take this conversation that you got to sit in on with us and take these questions and use them to, to help you build convictions in this area that honor God and that help you love other people well. Man, Logan, I love hashing these issues out with you. I love going to the scripture. I love praying and saying, Lord, speak to us through the scripture. Guys, we hope that these conversations are helpful. We do want them to be a conversation, not just between Logan and me, but among the three of us. And so please reach out. Reach out to us by email, endangeredspecies at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Let us know topics that you want to hear about. And let us know what you think of the discussion. Take care.